The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Then they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching Jesus on the cross, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed, we have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I'm thinking about a particular scene from a particular movie. In this movie, I'm willing to guess, is probably in the top ten list of virtually everyone here. That movie is, It's a Wonderful Life. But I'm not thinking of this movie because of Christmas season, after all, as every right-thinking person knows, Christmas season hasn't started yet. It starts when Santa Claus appears in front of Macy's at the end of the parade. In fact, the scene that is called to my mind today is one of the scenes in It's a Wonderful Life that has nothing to do with Christmas. By the way, I'm not going to talk about the storyline too much of of It's a Wonderful Life because, well, if you don't know the storyline, then we need to have a long talk, you and me, okay? This scene appears relatively early in in the movie. It's during the Great Depression, and George and Mary have just gotten married. They're leaving George's family home and headed out of town on their fabulous honeymoon they've been planning. But as they're going out of town, they pass by the Bailey Building and Loan, and there's obviously a run on the building and loan, a run on the bank, as sometimes happened in the Depression. Now, George, being George, he can't just keep on going to his honeymoon. His DNA demands that he stop the car, hop out, and go into the building to loan to see what he can do to help. When he gets there, the lobby is filled with people, people that that George knows. He knows all of them. 
And it seems like emotion, passion is ruling the day. People are angry. People are scared. People are feeling desperate. Even Billy, Uncle Billy, is paralyzed by fear. Everybody in this scene is unable to think clearly. They're being driven by their emotion. Everybody that is, except one person, George. George is able to see things clearly. He is able to think rationally. And because of that ability, George is able to save the day. He is able to save that day, the building and loan, from going into bankruptcy, albeit by the skin of his teeth. Later in the movie, the evil Henry Potter is talking with George, and he reflects on that fateful day and the irony of that day, the irony that there were two people in the town, the richest man in town, Potter, and one of the most impoverished, George, the only two people who, in Potter's words, were able to keep their heads that day. We'll get back to It's a Wonderful Life in just a minute. Now, if you walked in today and looked at your bulletin and saw at the top, Christ the King Sunday, I wouldn't be surprised if you were more than a little surprised, if not stunned, to see the gospel lesson for today. Christ the King Sunday and the gospel lesson is the crucifixion of Jesus. Why not for Christ the King Sunday? Why not, why not one of Jesus' miracle stories? Why not one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances? Why not anything other than what had to have been the lowest, most painful moments of Christ while he was on this earth? Well, here's where it's a wonderful life and that scene comes to play. I think there's a parallel here that is instructive. Now, by the way, I'll digress for a minute. Earlier this week, I sent a copy of this sermon to a close friend of mine from seminary, and he called me up and he said, Randy, I like the sermon. He always says that. He wants to make me feel good. But he said, I like the sermon, but you need to make sure everybody understands you're not equating It's a Wonderful Life with the crucifixion. I hope we do all understand that. But nevertheless, there is something in that scene that I think is a parallel It helps us make sense of today's gospel. Like it's a wonderful life, the scene at Golga, the scene of of the crucifixion, is a scene filled with emotion and passion. It seems to be ruling the day. We have a scene of Bedlam, if you will. In one corner, we have a bunch of people gambling over who gets Jesus's clothes. We have the leaders of the people hurling insults at Jesus. We have the guards mocking Jesus. And we even have one of the criminals as he's hanging from a cross deriding Jesus. As we kind of pan back and look at it, we can see there's a lot of noise. People are moving around. People seem to be filled with with the passion of anger and vengeance. Everybody's being ruled by their emotions except kind of like George and Potter, except for two people. Two people are keeping their wits about them. One, of course, is Jesus. And the irony is the other person 
Couldn't be more opposite from Jesus. Just as George and, and Potter couldn't be more opposite, Jesus and the second thief couldn't be more unalike. And yet it is this second thief who's able to see clearly what's going on. He sees that he and the other thief have been justly condemned. He sees that his time, his moments on this earth are quickly passing away. He sees that Jesus is indeed innocent. And he sees the greatest irony of all, that this Jesus, this Jesus who is hanging in agony on a cross, is at the same time a king. And not just any king, the ultimate king. He sees that Jesus is the king of that place to which we all journey at the end of our days. And this is revealed by his words to Jesus. He says, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Under those circumstances, of course, it could only mean the kingdom in the next life. Today's gospel lesson illustrates, I think, as vividly as possible, one of the most important truths of our faith, our Christian faith, is this. Our faith, Christianity, asks us, quite frankly, it demands that we hold in tension at the same time a variety of ideas that seem to be contradictory. For example, the notion that Jesus is fully human and also fully divine. The idea that there is one God, and yet there is God, the Trinity. The sure and certain knowledge that God is all-powerful and all-good, while at the same time God allows evil and injustice to populate this world. And today we are asked to hold in tension another amazing truth. That there are times that seem to be God forsaken. There are places that seem to be God forsaken, such as Golgotha. And yet, at the same time, God is present. God is active. Problem is, God is present and God acts in ways that we wouldn't think about being present and active. As Jesus demonstrates, Jesus, God, doesn't seek vengeance on opponents. God, Jesus, doesn't seek glorification. God, Jesus, does not seek to be served, but rather to serve. And finally, that God, who is just, is also merciful. Mercy is quite obvious in one sense in today's lesson, isn't it? When the second thief asks for mercy, Jesus declares that mercy. Today you will be with me in paradise. 
And it's tempting to focus on that statement, the last statement that we read today and extrapolate from it that, well, everybody else there, those who are mocking and insulting and deriding, they are condemned. But in another twist of irony, a careful reading reveals that's not the case. The very first words that Jesus speaks from the cross before anybody has asked for any kind of mercy. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Them. They. Not just one person, not just the thief, not a small portion of people, but everybody there. Today's gospel lesson illustrates a remarkable truth about God and another irony, another thing to hold in tension. That God is a God of justice, but God is also the God of of unfathomable mercy. Not just the thief, not just a few. Everybody was granted that mercy and that salvation on that day. So in one sense, today's gospel lesson does seem to be an odd choice at first blush, doesn't it, for Christ the King Sunday. But when we dig a little deeper, we realize that today, it's the perfect lesson. Jesus demonstrates that though to everybody around him, though it seems like he has been beaten, that he has been humiliated, Jesus reveals that he is in utter control. He demonstrates this amazing, imagine unimaginable power by his ability to proclaim God's forgiveness on everyone. And by that, it reveals that he is indeed Christ the King. Pretty amazing. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Amen.